Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. After the Senate election in May, First Minister Mark Drakeford declared that the environment would be at the heart of his new government's decision-making. In no way has this been emphasised more than with the creation of the Ministry for Climate Change. The subject has been firmly on the agenda of previous administrations, but will the change of name show a change of emphasis? Joining Kerry and I tonight are Jess McQuaid, Head of Policy and Advocacy at WWF Wales. Hello, Jess. Hello. We've got Gemma Beer, Head of Policy and Research at Keep Wales Tidy, and also our most appearances ever from a guest, I believe, Gemma. You've taken that that's, crown back. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> pleasure to be back. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on again. And we've got Neil Lewis, who is an environmental entrepreneur, climate change manager at Kamalanshire Energy and leading light of Charge Place Wales Limited. Hello, Neil. Good evening. Hi. Thank you very much for, for coming to talk to us. Welcome all. I'm going to kick us off tonight to climate change. It's fair to say we've been here before, really. And uh, in our election pods, we ask guests to review the government's past performance on policy areas. I'd like to ask you all to start here tonight. You know, we've had 20 years now of uh, devolution and government administrations. And they've done a, a lot to tackle a clear global emergency. But it was one of the really been at the top table of government policymaking since at least 2006. And our goals an inconvenient truth. So, Jess, can I ask you, you know, how do you think the past 20 years of devolution have, has tackled climate change? Well, when I, when I was reflecting, uh, when I was asked to come on to this podcast, I think I particularly start to get involved uh, as, as a stakeholder, reflecting on how the government was tackling climate change and also developing policies since about 2010. So at that point, Welsh government pretty much was responding very well. So I, I think it took uh, Al Gore's kind of inconvenient truth uh, strongly. Uh, there was lots of kind of shows about it in the community that were funded and they developed the Climate Change Action Plan 2010 was launched. That was really strong kind of plan with sectorial emissions kind of accounted for emission reduction that's needed with actions allocated to each sector and there's a really strong governance system supporting that so they set up the climate change commission for wells which was experts from across all sectors uh, high emitting industries third sector academics young people represented the Tyndall center they had um, a well-resourced team in the civil service uh, a value-based kind of passionate minister um, and as a consequence, they set some of the highest ambitions in the world, I think, at the time to reduce emissions in Wales by 40 percent by 2020 on all Welsh emissions on the baseline of 1990 and then a three percent annual uh, kind of Welsh specific emissions. So that that was a route map to climate change over decades, which was fantastic. That was a really excellent grounding uh, set of action um, from the government. And backed up by then, by that you had annual reporting, a Welsh progress report from uh, the UK Climate Change Commission, and regular meetings uh, with the Climate Change Commission for Wales, kind of assessing that, and then going to the National Assembly for Wales to present on what the government had been doing. And then we had, um, after quite a lot of campaigning from um, NGOs and also pushed by the Climate Change Commission for Wales legislation. Uh, the climate change, especially climate change targets were set in Wales the Environment Act in 2016, 
which um, put on the legal footing uh, carbon budgets, targets, action plans, etc. So we were doing really, really well in terms of the governance structure for this, a government that was taking it very seriously. And I think we can reflect on why kind of by 2020, um, the UK uh, C's progress report identified that emissions hadn't fallen sufficiently in Wales. In fact, they'd only fallen by 31% since 1990, bearing in mind that um, we'd set a target for 40% and that change was largely due to efficiency, the, the savings that we had or the reductions we had was largely due to efficiency in energy generation and business sector heating um, and also um, the first two years of the first carbon budget period, 20% was almost due entirely to reductions in the power sector, mainly Aberthaw closing. So I, I kind of I'll let others come in and discuss some of their reflections. There's a there's a bit of a problem that's happened between that kind of high ambition that we set and where we see each other now, um, where we are now in Wales. Yeah, setting that context for you. Neil, you've you've worked in this this area for the past decade or more. Jess has just run through. What are your reflections on on how government have delivered? I, I came into it in 2008. I was working in a different profession and um, three young kids, and I was worried about what I was hearing about climate change. And um, as, as Jess mentioned, there was a very dynamic environment minister in charge back then. And I was inspired to think that we could change much more rapidly and much more effectively than we actually have. I, I think Welsh government ambitions have been laudable. I fear they have been hamstrung by, by the Westminster government uh, with their usual double speak on climate change. One area that's been very frustrating in Wales for me, I, obviously I'm not Cardiff-centric, is the lack of engagement by local authorities. As far as I can see, in Carmarthenshire, and I have worked quite extensively across Wales, that the, uh, local, uh, the county councils and the local governments have been uh, missing in action on, on action on climate change. Um, and even since a lot of them have declared uh, climate emergencies, nothing seems to have changed really. I think there's a, a default position in most Welsh local governments to, to go carry on with business as usual. So I think there's a big challenge. I, I mean, I'm really encouraged with the forming of the climate change minister and, and deputy minister. I think they are the right people for the job. And uh, I, I think it's great that they've got overarching uh, remit and also that they seem to have general support from many politicians on the other side of the aisle as well in, in Plaid Cymru. So uh, let's hope the future is a lot better than the last 10 years, I would say. Jen, you've also been in the environment field. You and I have worked on various projects over that past decade or more. You know, what, what, what's your reflections on government's delivery in that time? I think that the, the Welsh government's aspirations in this area kind of like like Jess and Neil have, have set out really have always been have always been laudable and I think we've got we've got a lot of positive ambitions in Wales and, and there is a kind of sense that we can do a lot as a as a small nation generally speaking um you know that that attitude has, has kind of prevailed we have we've had a lot of environmental wins but I think progress has been too slow much too slow I think we've missed quite a lot of opportunities. We kind of felt like we were getting somewhere 
and then the Brexit referendum happened and obviously the, the conversation, like the, the priorities and the shift to focus um, in regard to, to the environment all, all had to kind of change and, and be rewritten to some extent. But I will say that the um, not just the structure of the, the climate change department now in the, in the new Senate, but the people involved, including um, Mark Drakeford himself, I think what we've got for the first time are actual environmentalists in that portfolio with, with genuinely credible environmental credentials. And I think that that is potentially what's going to make all the difference. Um, a lot of the time, a lot of countries fall down in terms of climate change policies, in terms of the, the political structures that they've, that they've got or the political will, or there's just, there's just something more sexier and vote winning happening happening elsewhere, basically. Um, so I'm I've got I'm cautiously optimistic that with the new structure and the people involved, that does signal a change. And I also uh, Neil um, alluded to the the kind of the nature crises and the and the climate change crises that, that the Welsh government and certain local authorities have have declared. You are increasingly starting to see those words of urgent and crisis being used politically across all of the parties. And I'm hoping that just that kind of shift in language over the past kind of couple of years is going to speed up progress. So I think pretty much everyone's in agreement that the right people are in the portfolio, but let's talk a bit about the portfolio itself. Jess, do you think there's too much in that portfolio? Do you think there's too many ministerial responsibilities contained within it? Or do you think that it's the right thing that we've ended that siloing that we had before of policy? Good question. What's too much for the two ministers? I, I, I think it's great that it's integrated. Um, so integration um, and some people are calling it the super ministry, uh, which includes housing and transport, which are some of the sectors where Wales has devolved competence to take action on. So what we've had in the past is and previous First Minister's Carwin Jones talking about the, the lack of ability of Wales to do much in this um, area because we haven't got devolved competence over the energy sector and also some of the high emitting industries, which was deeply frustrating for people working in the sector because we knew there was so much more that could be done in the building sector, in the transport sector, in, in agriculture. With this portfolio, what we're really interested in at the moment in WWF and um, environmental co conservation organisations is that relationship with not buildings and transport, but also land. So we see how we use land is going to be critical for uh, reducing emissions, tackling the climate crisis, but also that nature crisis that we're facing too, so the loss of biodiversity. So that portfolio primarily sits, uh, well, the, the actions and the programmes to tackle land use primarily sits with the rural ministry, um, with Leslie Griffiths. So how, how that is going to interplay for us is going to be critical to the success of, the, of this government. The new um, agricultural bill and um, payment to farmers and also how we use land for nature restoration, so where we build well, not build, sorry, where we plant those, that kind of national forest for Wales, how we um, increase peat bog restoration, etc. So from our perspective, that relationship still, even if you incorporate building and transport and parts of the environment in that climate ministry, um, the relationship is still going to be core. 
and integration with the rural land use sector, then also critically the wider environment. Um, so the uh, sorry, the wider economy issue. Um, so how they work with the economy minister and how they build back better and introduce um, emission low carbon investment and nature restoration into our COVID recovery. So is it too big? We'll have to see how they get on. Um, I'm not sure historically people have had bigger kind of ministries. The economy and health sound pretty big. So um, it's probably not too big. It could be bigger from our perspective, um, but they're still going to have to work really, really closely uh, with other departments and ministers. Neil, with, with everything that Jess has said in mind, do you think it's too small then? Do you think there's actually areas where there could be more interplay between policy areas? Yeah, no, it's uh, some really good points Jess mentioned there. I, I, I think it has to be big because it's the biggest problem we face, I would say, the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. Uh, you know, they, they infiltrate every aspect of life. I hate to be negative about the last 10 years, but what we've demonstrated is that the Welsh Government, whilst their ambitions were very good, they didn't have all their ducks lined up. So, um, you know, from the community energy sector point of view, um, we met so many problems in the planning system that they didn't get in order. There was, there was no material benefit or, or consideration from the community element, um, ownership aspect of, of, of renewable energy projects. And a huge problem has been natural resources Wales as well. You know, I mean, we tried to build a hydro scheme uh, on the River Tyvee. There was an existing uh, woolen mill that closed down in the 80s. And it took them seven years to give us permission, and by which time it wasn't financially viable. So, you know, if we can have a ministry that overarches and tries to get all of these things, you know, in order, that would be very encouraging. And we haven't got time to, to delay anymore. We've, we've used that 10 years badly, and we need to improve our, our rate of delivery. Um, so, so I think it, it needs to be big. There is a concern. I mean, I've met with Lee Waters um, on, about EV car clubs. And uh, at his request, and his ambition is clear, I'm sure Julie James' ambition is clear, but whether they can deliver on all the different factors that we need delivery on. So they, they need to be able to delegate and they need the power to make sure that the people they do delegate can act as quickly as we need. So it's a complicated picture, but I'm hopeful for, for once. Gemma, with everything Jess and Neil have said in mind, what do you think that the, this ministry needs to deal with and grasp quickly and what has your analysis been of the program for government obviously the 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 recent program for government released by the welsh government had two pages full of plans for the climate change ministry have you made any analysis of that yet i think in terms of the the, the portfolio i think if you if you look back the the previous um, minister um with with leslie leslie griffiths i would say that her portfolio was too big she had absolutely everything and she was the only it was the only portfolio in government who weirdly didn't have a deputy minister attached to it. Um, so two ministers is um, is a good sign. And that integration, I'm reluctant to criticise it because it's something that we've been calling on for, for such a long time that, you know, we it does need to be integrated in, in that sort of sense. The, the rural affairs bit sitting with Leslie Griffiths is, is kind of it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but hopefully her previous role as having that massive portfolio will will play a big part in how that fits together I think the biggest challenge is the economy portfolio and everyone talks about a green economy program for government everybody and, and everybody's got a different definition as to as to what that means 
and the programme for government was heavier on the environment than we've had previously, um, and that's extremely welcome. And I'm not sure whether it's because of um, Lee Waters' previous role in, um, in Sustrans, of course, before he, he entered the, uh, the, the bright, bright lights of, of politics and, and stardom. It's very transport heavy. And that is absolutely, you know, there's, that's, it's one of the massive challenges that, that we, need to, we need to face. But it was a little light on the nature and biodiversity um, side of things. And again, with Welsh Government, I don't think anyone can, can really level the, the criticism at their aspiration. And I think they are, they are genuine in their, in their aspirations of, of what they want to do. But I think it was a light on detail for the programme of government. So I'll be very interested to see how some of those things play out. And there's a few things that I think we just need to get on with. I think one, one of the worst things about living in Wales, everything else I absolutely love, but there is this phenomenon of, of death by consultation. I've just finished my, I think it's the fourth consultation on a deposit return scheme in five years and I'm, I'm sick to death. You know, everybody, everybody wants one. It's publicly popular. They committed the UK government and the Welsh government and the Scottish government committed to it three years ago. You know, there, there's a lot of stalling and a lot of delaying on a lot of these environmental policies. And I, and I think when it comes to climate change, we actually need we need to see it a little bit more like the COVID pandemic. We need to kind of say this, this is a crisis and we are going to push forward. You know, we weren't consulted on the furlough scheme. You know, we shouldn't be consulted on some of these things that we know that we need to do. There are questions, of course, you know, some are more complex than others. But when it comes to banning some unnecessary plastics from the market, just just do it. I don't even want a consultation about it. Just do it. You know, it needs to happen. You know, when it comes to um, increasing the electric charging network, for example, we know that that needs to happen. Um, fast forward it, do it, invest in it. Because the other, the other major thing, and, and even though there has been quite a lot of announcements um, over the past kind of um, week or so about investment in, in these things, you know, so they are putting their money where their mouth is, there is still a, a huge gap in terms of financing all of this. We need additional financial mechanisms in order to deal with this crisis. We can't do it on government funding alone. So we, we, we're going to need to be innovative. And that, for me, was some of the kind of the missing parts from the programme of government. But again, I don't want to criticise too much because this is what we've been asking for for, for quite a long time. It's, it's moving in the right direction. Jess, yeah. what was your analysis of the uh, programme for government? Uh, very similar. It was wonderful to see within the headline introduction from the First Minister, the climate and nature crisis are uh, kind of written at the, the top um, of the programme for government. Trying to analyse then the actions, programmes, investments supporting that. Lots and lots and lots on transport, very, very heavy on transport, as you might expect, but probably then at the cost of other areas where you'd expect to see a lot of detail. So energy efficiency, for example, is something that Wales has been talking about in detail since 2015, like WWF, Cymru, IWA, Assembly committees have done multiple strong evidence-based stakeholder engagement in the building sector and how we need to improve the energy efficiency of homes to tackle the building sector and reduce emissions. Um, but also it's seen as a, one of these win-wins, whereas 
if you tackle this area, you create jobs, um, local supply chains, so the money kind of stays in the area. So it is potentially one of those areas um, around the foundation economy, so the localization of the economy in Wales. It can also tackle many health issues. If you improve the energy efficiency, you reduce the damp, which helps kind of people uh, with chronic health issues. I try not to get frustrated and angry, um, but I, I was just, I'm like, maybe I've missed something, I don't know, but I, I looked at the energy efficiency line and it, I think it just says something like, we're gonna do it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what are you gonna do? By when, how much are you gonna invest? How many homes are you gonna do? You know, you've got the evidence base for this. Um, we've got the precedent set with our bed. What, what on earth's going on with that? I have no idea, someone help perhaps. Um, so that, that was a bit frustrating. As a conservation organisation, we really want to see much, much more around nature-based solutions to climate change. So that hasn't got as much coverage or understanding across the board, it's not just in Wales, but nature-based solutions for climate essentially harness the power of nature to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and also help us to adapt the impacts of climate change. And again, they're one of those win-win solutions that also will help us restore and protect ecosystems to address not only the biodiversity crisis, but a lot of society's challenge, um, challenges and promote human well-being. So kind of tree planting and forests are probably the most well-known nature-based solutions, um, but there are many more, including peatland, salt marshes, um, seagrass. So that was actually in there, which is fantastic. So there's, there's so much potential in Wales and across the world globally around blue carbon. So that's using the sea. Um, it's often overlooked. Fantastic. We've got this national forest. Um, but the investment in certainly um, of peatlands and then also kind of scale and commitment to um, blue carbon, et cetera, could have been much stronger. Like was mentioned, this idea around innovative financing, so how we can lever smart um, financing through governments, NGOs, businesses, to try and amplify and increase the investment. We, when we've done some analysis around the level investment that's needed, it it's kind of needs to be almost 5% of the total Welsh government budget by the end of, but by the end of this assembly term, I, I need to check that probably, but it certainly needs to be approximately 5% to, to kind of give us the capital that we need to, to make these changes. It's been, it's been nowhere near that. So, we need to see more on innovative finance and that needs to see a lot of time going in to help support uh, that change in financing in Wales. Neil, I don't know if you want to mention the programme for government, but I really want to ask you about, you know, your area of specialism around renewable energy mm-hmm. and, you know, what you said earlier on in the pod, I think is spot on. I, I don't think we have taken those opportunities in the last 10 years. We've got some really good schemes, but we really haven't, you know, taken full advantage of those feed-in tariffs from Westminster. Yeah. For me, there's a community energy project I look at every day, which uh, uh, we weren't given permission to do. Uh, you know, it's a roof which we had finance for, and we could have put it in place, and we just didn't get that public sector support to make it happen. I think there's been there's a change now. I think it really is very much in the mainstream, even without those fight feed-in tariffs. Where do you think? the industry will go now for this decade is it is it gonna really push on just briefly if i could mention innovative finance there's a great example in robert owen community banking fund who've been working with powys council on zero interest loan funds for energy efficiency projects 
And if you look at the data for POWIS, there's so much more domestic scale renewable energy, green heat and energy efficiency projects being funded. And that's money that's neutral, that the, the POWIS council are lending it at 0% to uh, Robert Owen Bank. Robert Owen Bank are doing the assessments and lending it to the domestic market and they're getting the money back, whereas all the other local authorities are just giving the money back to, to central government at the end without using it. Again, as you say, Kerry, we, we, we've been so slow at taking advantage of all the opportunities. I've written a long list of things I'd like to mention, but I mean, I mean back to what Jess was saying about the nature crisis, maybe farming is the opportunity there, because whilst obviously I'm unhappy about Brexit, maybe getting rid of the common agricultural policy is a huge opportunity for biodiversity. Um, and you know, Welsh farmers need to, to, to take that opportunity. And uh, one, one thing we're working on in Carmarthenshire is local supply of produce for the schools, um, you know, with Simon Wright. And, and when you talk about Wales not taking up opportunities, look what Scotland have done with EV charging. You know, they've, they've taken 30 million from Europe to put in a, a really robust network across the whole of Scotland. Um, and, and Welsh Government were just waiting for BP to come in. You know, it shows a lack of ambition, lack of understanding of the sector. The, the good news is from all of this, and there's a lot more we can talk about, there's a lot that we can do a lot, lot better. And, and as you say about consultation, I mean, what's happened with EVs with Welsh Government is they keep consulting and they're not enacting the consultation results. So, you know, what's the point of consulting if you're not going to even do what the consultation yields, as, as Gemma was saying? Um, what, what, one thing I'm interested in as well is I think there's a blurring of lines between farming and carrying on farming as we have been for meat and, and, and milk and climate change. In Carmarthenshire, I know that the cabinet member on the county council, she, she's a farmer. She's only just taken up the role now. Kevin Campbell's going up to the Senate. And um, climate change is part of her remit, but I wouldn't have thought that she, she'll give much, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think she'll give, have the ability to spend much time on climate change because her voters are, are generally the farming community. And so, so whether we can take the opportunity to act on climate change and keep the farmers on board, that, that'll be a big challenge for the climate change minister. I think those are all, all fair comments. and. One of the things which surprised me when the, the new ministry was announced was uh, Julie James was saying that she didn't expect people in Wales to make sacrifices. Jem, mm. do you think that's realistic longer term? We will have to change the way that we live, won't we? Yes, we will, but that doesn't mean it'll be worse necessarily. I think in, in terms of public opinion and, and in terms of behaviour change, what you generally find, there's a number of a number of kind of things in terms of public opinion and, and, and how we live and our, our behaviours. Um, so once somebody has experienced an environmental policy, they tend to be more in favour of it. But until they've experienced it, they tend to be, you know, people like the status quo, they don't like too much change. And Perry, a, a good example is one that's very close to your heart, I'm sure, is the single-use carrier bag charge. Before it came in, you had a, a relatively low, you know, public opinion in, in, terms of, in terms of introducing a charge. Once it came in, the majority of the people thought that it was a great idea. 
and uh, you know, subsequent studies have shown that that has changed behavior. I think one of the biggest challenges in terms of climate change funding and, in, and investment and, and public opinion necessarily is um, people tend to be more warmer to investment when something is actually happening as opposed to prevention and mitigation. So if you ask the public, do you want to spend lots on climate change adaption, mitigation, flood risk um, mitigation, for example, there's, they're a bit lukewarm about it. But once you have a national, uh, you know, a big flooding emergency and you say, do you want to give these people help um, in terms of, um, you know, helping them get back into their homes and, and you know, repairing the damage, um, it's overwhelmingly positive. So I think that, um, and this is, a, this is another kind of behavioural principle, that climate change is problematic in that it, it's an abstract concept until it's real. Similarly, possibly to what Neil was saying about the, the change that's needed for farming, we need to make climate change and everything that is in that very real for people. We need to make that a very real story. And then I think the, the change will come but that you have to create opportunities for people which are convenient and easy. And you don't need to tell them that it's for climate change. You don't, you know, people don't necessarily need to understand the reasons. You just need to facilitate a culture and, a, a you know, modes of transport, modes of working, um, economic opportunities and skills and training that are environmental and green and going towards a, a better future as, and not invest in the opposite. And by that, you, you create a culture by, by default. It's not about necessarily giving up things um, unless you're talking about, you know, your plastic stirrers or coffee cups or, you know, like silly things like that. You can make all of these changes and have a better life. And that's where it comes down to making those personal stories and having that personal impact. And I think that we, the, the third sector does that very well. Um, and I think that the government can can take some some lessons um, as as to how to do that and how to translate that into some of these lengthy and frequent consultations that they um, they keep putting on us. They need the story um, behind it. That's um, quite an environmental bubble perspective in many ways. I mean, if you're telling someone they're going to have to sacrifice their car an access from one end of Cardiff across the other, um, that will feel like a sacrifice to, to that person, I'm sure. What I wanted to just pick up on was for many people, especially young people, it's not a sacrifice. It's not an issue of sacrifice. It's actually an issue of survival. I think you might have seen in the news recently, climate anxiety is really, really a genuine mental health issue for a large proportion of population across the globe, and that includes Wales. So you know, th this is serious for such a long time. When we, as environmental NGOs, we've been talking about and the importance of future generations, that's been part of the narrative of sustainable development kind of si since its conception kind of decades ago, but it was never really understood. But now we're actually seeing the generation that is gonna be impacted, it's gonna take up the, the climate impacts of the changing weather systems and the consequences of that on every part of their life is going to be a reality, you know. So whereas for us, it was about policy decisions and how, how we kind of work with government, fairly theoretical, but the kind of young people, it's actually going to be their reality. And I think that that's almost the shift 
I think that we're seeing in this government um, is that movement of young people really, really hard not to have to listen to that and not to be uh, morally obliged to actually make climate change and nature crisis kind of really at the forefront of your policy making. It, it can no longer be a theoretical kind of shift in the finance, it's a reality. And I think picking up on what Gemma said is how do we enable that shift in values that we might have already started seeing happening as a consequence of COVID. So that kind of consumption, consumerism, kind of this old way of living that our economic system is predicated on. COVID for many people, not for all, of course, but for a lot of people, they've understood um, a different value perhaps of well-being, um, healthy family community, um, caring nature, access to nature. And that might, that kind of shift in values or understanding of perhaps what's really important some, and also some of the shifts in behaviour change that you've seen around that. So eating kind of uh, local businesses kind of more locally produced food, and of people using their car less, flying less, holidaying in the UK. Those behaviours are the behaviours that you needed to see shifting to enable us individually to contribute to emission reductions. So it's about how the government uses its system change now to make things safe and easy so we don't necessarily go back to those behaviours which are high carbon. So that, and you've seen that with the active, the kind of, rapid investment in active travel across our cities um, and towns in Wales. And we're, we're kind of interested, we might come back to seeing the, the pushback and the challenge that's going to arise over these two, two worlds clashing now of over kind of in travel, it's a kind of like an epicenter of that at the moment um, across Wales. But you'll probably see that happening as well around land use, uh, what we eat, etc. But uh, there's been a load of research done on this. Um, Cardiff University has got kind of one of the best centres kind of in the UK, um, Lorraine Whitmarsh, which kind of develops, um, does research on this. But it's also they talk about selling the sizzle. So it's it's selling the benefits of these changes in behaviours. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like a benefit. I'd agree, I'd agree with that, Jess. Uh, one of the issues, particularly for in, in kind of like government for, for policymakers, is that in, in behavioural psychology, environmental decisions tend to be a, a drip feed. They're not immediate changes in behaviours. So something like buying a new car, for example. Um, so five years ago, you might have just gone for the, the model, you know, the top model of whatever it was that you wanted in the colour that you wanted. But that drip feed of environmental news and information, you know, more and more electric cars um, are, are kind of viable now. Well, not, not where I live in mid Wales yet, but hopefully soon. <laughs> and environmental decisions will come into play um, over quite longer periods. And once you get that kind of critical mass, um, so then when you, when, you know, it's not like you don't go out and decide to buy an electric car tomorrow because you've, you've heard something on the news. But next time when you are in the market to buy a car, that hybrid or the electric option is more of an option because you've you've heard of these things. So there is there is something about just keeping climate change on the 
agenda in in the news and in the social media and as, as much anxiety as that causes and I completely recognize what you said about the climate anxiety I think I suffer from it for myself a little bit Jess um, so it's, it's kind of long term so I think for for politicians it's quite difficult because you might not necessarily get that yeah, you've done a fantastic policy in that kind of like immediate way that you might do with quite a lot of other things. It's quite a slow progress. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's a process, it's a cultural change that we're going through. We are going through a, a human revolution. And like many of the other kind of human revolutions that we've, we've been through, we're not going to know the, the impacts of that or the consequences of that until we look back on it in 10 years time and go, yeah, that was the, the, the shift point, or, you know, that was the, that was the catalyst. I, I, think, I think climate anxiety is a, is a huge issue, and it's understandable. It's not an irrational anxiety. It's, a, you know, it's well-founded, obviously. Uh, what, what we're trying to do at Eskol Broad in Evo in Flandailo is to offer the students a chance to do something about climate change. So that's where community energy comes in and local supply and local growing and you know uh, nature enhancement and what have you um, and, and I think that's when you talk about changes Kerry I, I think uh, as Gemma was saying that, that people are reluctant to change on, on all sorts of things but the reality is that most of these changes are really positive I know that again as just saying that's an environmentalist point of view but you don't hear anyone who's driven an electric car criticizing electric cars really you know, most people, once you've driven them, you think, oh, I get it, they're better. Yeah, that's easy. And, um, you know, all my friends who are vegetarian or vegan, they never start going on about steak and having dairy milk in their tea anymore because they're, they're really happy with their lives without it. So once the change happens, and uh, I, when I gave evidence uh, at the Senate um, to Russell George's Economy Skills Committee a while ago, I mentioned EV car clubs. And uh, there was a Labour AM who I won't mention. She, she's normally a you know very nice lady. She is a nice lady. She she says, well, that's never going to happen. That's a change of that's a change of uh, mentality on five different levels. And now its main government policy or aspiration is to have EV car clubs all over Wales. You know, and that's what Community Energy Wales is working on. And that's changed over three or four years, really. So I, I think, I don't know if uh, Jess and Gemma and Kerry, you, you were at this event, but when they had the school strike for the climate march in Cardiff uh, on that very sunny day, when I went along, subconsciously I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I'll have to speak, you know, to, to, to offer my ideas and views. They knew more about it than I do. You know, they, yeah. they were so well informed. The speakers they had were inspiring me, not me inspiring mm -hmm. them. And, uh, you know, we've got to give rain for this, for these people, these young people to take over because that, that assembly member who thought that shared ownership of electric vehicles will never happen is, is out of her time now. It's, unless she changes, she's gonna be left behind, you know, and we need leaders and change makers who understand the current urgency, not people who are stuck in the old ways, really. And what we're finding in Carmarthenshire, and I am very critical of Carmarthenshire Council, they've got a so-called energy department who have done nothing in 10 years. As a community energy organisation, we're producing three times the electricity that they do. And we're volunteer, we were volunteers with no money and no land, you know. So Carmarthenshire Council should be doing a heck of a lot better than that. But what we're finding is the schools have got small PV installations, even brand new schools, and they're still really struggling with their electricity bills. 
And yet when we go to the, the council and say, let's put more solar panels, let's put batteries, let's develop a local supply model, let's tap into the wind turbine, you know, they, they, they're really not interested. They just want us to go away. And, and the old mentality has to change urgently. And, and that's why I'm hoping having, um, having the Ministry for Climate Change um, on board, we, we can maybe make things happen quicker. But how, how you change the local authorities into engage them into acting on a fast fashion? Because I mean, with Natural Resources Wales and the county councils, they literally, when you go and talk to them about climate change, they, they'll, they'll just talk about it and they'll have meetings and, and they'll never ever do anything about it. And we've got to change that. We, we've got to act within six months of getting the idea nowadays. That's the challenge we have. Whilst we're on uh, local authorities, there has been a very interesting decision by one of Wales's uh, local authorities recently. Obviously, Cardiff Council, one of the first to pass a, a motion uh, declaring a climate emergency in Wales, has recently taken the decision to open up Castle Street back to car mm -hmm. traffic. Uh, Jess, what was your analysis of that decision? How polarising it is. You know, I'm a cyclist. I cycle that route every day. I used to every day to work and put my life at risk. I'm scared to say what I think because I might get challenged. But, um, you know, I've been involved in Extinction Rebellion, um, an activist as well. But I, I do think there is value in doing something which is evidence-based and looking at the, in the short term, certainly looking at the impacts of that decision of closing on air pollution and traffic around the city. I, I do think it's the right decision to kind of maybe pause it for a little while and just review and look at the evidence and the consequences. And what we don't want to have is unintended consequences of a decision which affects other people's health, other environmental issues like air pollution. So I, I personally, you know, from a personal perspective, I think it's the is the right decision just to reflect and review. It doesn't need to be a permanent decision. I think people are scared that it is and it's signaling that the kind of the city's maybe given into um, car lobbies or whoever else. I, I'm not too sure. I've, I've tended not to look at the British discussion on it. But I think, you know, let's not forget there's massive investments by that council, Cardiff Council, in active travel, in improving and trying to shift. And that's that's a, a significant shift and it's going to take quite a while. Um, so I, I think let's just look at the evidence. Let's keep moving rapidly in the right in the right direction. But let's not kind of think that this is signals the end of the kind of commitment to making travel more active and also reducing the air pollution in the city. Gemma, did you have anything else to say on that? I live in Brecon in Mid Wales, so I can only dream of these things called public transport and cycling routes and, and electric cars that, that you people speak of, which is an, an issue in itself. The, the, the rural nature of, of some of these, these kind of transport plans, they do tend to be quite either South Wales centric or North Wales centric. If I go down as far as Merthyr, I can get a train or I can go over to Abergavenny and I can get up to the north, but it's not easy. But I did want to kind of on a, on a similar vein, um, the Welsh government's um, kind of temporary ban on, on road building, um, I thought I'd mention because I think that that is extremely welcome. And again, goes to um, that kind of evidence-based evidence policy 
you know, let's let's just stop doing the bad things until we can think of a better way of doing things. That just makes complete sense to me. So I that is is very well very welcome. But I'm not going to engage in that specific argument about about Castle Street. Um, when I've stayed in Cardiff on the rare occasions, I once stayed in the Angel a couple of years ago for something. And uh, I couldn't believe the buses that stop outside the Angel on Castle Street and just keep idling, you know, on a winter's evening. And, and, and I, I did a film of the exhaust with all the diesel fumes coming out. So I, I think one thing that Cardiff Council should do instantly is declare a moratorium on buying diesel buses if they haven't already, and, and then actively look at the financing of, of electric buses. Because uh, the last time I heard, and it was quite a while ago, um, Wangzhou in, in China have got like 130,000 electric buses or whatever. And uh, the payback for electric buses is something like 12 years because of the low maintenance costs and low um, um, refueling costs. So, so surely a 12-year payback, and that was a few years ago, means that they could get rid of all the diesel buses pretty sharpish. And that would increase the air quality whilst pursuing the active travel ideas and whilst trying to look to reduce cars and obviously uh, trying to develop car sharing clubs uh, on a more socially accepted level. Because uh, one saying I always remember is when you buy a Black & Decker, it's not the drill you want, it's the hole in the wall. And, you know, people don't particularly want to own cars. I mean, if, you, if you cycle through Mid Wales or, or West Wales, it's where all the old diesel cars go to die. And, uh, you know, if Wales doesn't get on board with that pretty quickly, Jess will find out when she's in uh, in Cardigan, uh, all the Rover 75s. And, you know, if, if we don't sort of engage with, with uh, a more enlightened transport system, which I'm sure Lee is all over, then we're going to end up with all the diesels from London and Scotland living in Wales. You know, we're going to be in a right pickle, Castle Street or Cardigan. Like the old trains that used to come to Wales rolling yeah. stock. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and they're still buying diesel trains transfer for Wales, apparently. This last week, they were buying diesel trains. You know, and that's a bit worrying, isn't it? But one good bit of news for Gemma, we, are, we have applied for funding for an EV car club in Brecon, so let's hope we're successful. That's very exciting. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> Without electrifying our, our rail network further than Cardiff, we, we are going to be beholden to diesel trains for some time to come. But just just because I, I am one of the most critical of the Castle Street decision, but just to let you know, Neil, Cardiff Council is, is quite forward thinking on electric buses. And I, I think they have some and more on order. We've kind of looked tonight at the past um, and at the present in terms of Wales and um, climate change. But we want to end tonight with looking at the future. And the UK holds COP26 in Glasgow uh, later this year, and Welsh government will be there, and they're asking for ideas and what Wales can take to that uh, global event. So, Neil, what would you say is the one thing you want Welsh government to take to that event later this year? One thing's uh, the difficult part. I think it's a very exciting time for Wales. And, you know, I think we've got the right leadership. I think we've got cross-party support for, for climate change action. I think changing... Out, I, I mean, the three elements of climate change are renewables. I think that technology is here. Uh, electrified transport, that technology is here. Energy efficiency and heat is the huge challenge. And, the, and I suppose the fourth uh, element is land management, as, as, as Jessica was talking about. So I, I think for Wales... We need to develop farming in, in a climate-friendly way to produce local produce, 
and strengthen communities and create jobs through energy efficiency as well. So localization and making sure that local organizations can act on climate change and develop models that are replicable across, across the, um, the whole world, really. I think Wales could demonstrate that a small nation can punch above its weight, I suppose. One thing that we haven't talked about is um, not just our direct emissions in Wales in our Welsh borders, but also our, our emissions for consumption. So the impact that we have on kind of global emissions, which is a really critical element of tackling climate change that seems to have been forgotten. I mean, it was, it was big kind of 10 years ago when we had the Climate Change Action Plan, and but it seems to have dropped off a bit now. And going to an international platform, I think it's a real opportunity for Wales seeking to be an outward looking nation as well to, to kind of commit to reducing its emissions and its impact of those emissions and consumptions uh, abroad, particularly um, a report that we've just done, um, which is looking at uh, how our consumption affects deforestation in kind of primary kind of forests across the globe, such as the Amazon. And there's some really, really interesting stats there, kind of how our agricultural commodities, um, such as cocoa, palm oil, et cetera, and then forest commodities, the land footprint overseas associated with their production and um, Wales's demand of these commodities. And just one of the stats from that is, so the greenhouse gas emissions associated with the conversion of natural ecosystems and changes in land cover for the production of Welsh imports of soy, cocoa, palm, natural rubber, total 1.5 million tonnes of CO2 each year, which is equivalent to 22% of the greenhouse gas emissions from transport in Wales. So that just gives a bit of context set into why looking at emissions through consumption and products and commodities is really important. So there, there are kind of ways of managing and dealing with that. Uh, kind of there's a, an alliance ourselves, RSPB and Size of Wales have set out kind of a deforestation free Wales campaign, which includes starting to account for our global emissions as well from land use and kind of upping the increase of our consumption emission and how that's fed into our policy making. So I think going abroad and showcasing that we do take our emissions overseas and we have that global responsibility and set out in the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. There's loads more, obviously, nature-based solutions is one of the key themes. Um, Wales is recognised by the First Minister and many others. Wales' natural resources and our land is absolutely critical to how we move forward, both reducing emissions, um, but also addressing and adapting to climate change. So I'd really like to showcase what we've done on nature-based solutions, but also what we plan to do. Of course, a lot of what you just mentioned there, that kind of offshoring and how we manage that is all tied up in the Internal Market Act, which the pods looked at in the past as well. So very complicated. Je Jem, can I ask you just to round up the pod, your thoughts on COP26? Um, I think the first thing to say is that I'm really pleased that it's being held in, in Glasgow. I think Scotland um, is a really good example of a country which has um, kind of set very ambitious net zero um, uh, emissions targets. And I think they're close to reaching their 100% renewable energy goal um, this year. It was 90% last year. Um, they're doing really well. So I'm really pleased that Scotland is going to get showcased um, for that. And I hope that Wales can follow suit, of course. 
collectively, in, in terms of the, the actual um, the pledges around COP26, uh, internationally, um, all the current pledges um, are, are kind of lacking. And analysis says that countries need to collectively triple their efforts to, to cut carbon emissions. So I'm, I'm hoping for some, some radical action. But I also wanted to kind of um, talk a little bit about um, targets. Boris Johnson and the UK government is amazing at these. And I've noticed a pattern. Every six months, they come up with new environmental targets, which are utterly um, ambitious. Um, and they make the headlines and make the um, us, us bunny huggers happy. Um, and um, they are utterly unrealistic because they don't come with a plan. Um, they haven't engaged industry and or indeed anybody. Um, and we're due another one. So just before COP26 is around about the time when he, he announces new environmental targets on something else to, to make everyone happy. Um, targets don't work unless they're statutory and they're enforceable. Um, and they absolutely need to be realistic and they come and to come with a strategic action plan behind it with key deliverables and engagement. The Welsh Government has so far been really good at that. I'd like to see some, some more stick um, in terms of the targets, in terms of um, industry targets, in terms of transport, in terms of what local authorities um, have to do to meet those targets. And I think a really good example, obviously, is, is the household recycling targets. We're now second or third in the world since we made that statutory and threatened local authorities with, with heavy penalties if they didn't comply, you know, depending on what statistics that, that you look at. And I think that if we could have that same very serious and enforceable approach to um, climate change targets across this new integrated super ministry, then I think we could make progress and we could make it really quickly. On that incredibly practical note, I want to thank everyone for coming to talk to us this evening. If, uh, if people want to get a hold of you and talk to you a bit more about everything you've talked about tonight and everything else you do, um, where can they find you on Twitter, Jess? Um, on Twitter, McQuaid Jess. Um, I hope I'm not going to get spam now because I disagree because of the Cardiff um, statement. But yeah, well, welcome, welcome discussion as well. And um, yeah, I work for WWF Cymru, so yeah, get in touch that way as well. Wonderful, thank you very much. Uh, Neil? Uh, I'm at Low Carbon Lewis, and um, it should be Zero Carbon Lewis these days, shouldn't it? But it was Low Carbon Lewis, so it still is. And uh, I'm at Neil at KamarVentureEnergy.org. Thanks. Thank you very much, Neil. Gemma? Um, at Gemma Beer, um, Gemma with a J, B-E-R-E. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight on Here I, please don't forget to find us on Medium at Here I Blog Cymru, on Facebook at Here I Blog Cymru, and on Twitter at Here I Blog. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.